But today we hit commandment number eight, which we find in Exodus chapter 20, verse 15, and it says very simply, you shall not steal, right? Pretty cut and dry, pretty straightforward, you shall not steal. And so what we've been doing as we've gone back through each of these commands is we're reciting them together, we're reading them together, we're hiding them in our heart together because we know many of us don't know all of this. We may have a vague understanding or concept, but we want to know if this is God's top 10 list, if these are the things that he said, hey, these are so important, I'm going to write them with my own finger in a stone tablet, man, they they probably matter. They're probably things that are going to help us and bless us if we can live up to them. So if you would stand with me as we go through this list one more time, the Ten Commandments, uh, if you would say this out loud with me. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Number two, you shall not make idols. Number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Number four, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Number five, honor your father and your mother. Number six, you shall not murder. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Number eight, you shall not steal. Number nine, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Number 10, you shall not covet. Father God, we come to you today and we thank you again for your word. We thank you for these commands that were given to us, God, to protect us, given to us to to provide boundaries for us and protection for us. God, given to us to give us a glimpse of your heart and what you expect from us, God. So we ask today that you would help us to apply these into our life. If there's any of us, God, that are falling short, specifically in this area of commandment eight, if there's any of us who are robbing others or robbing you, God, we ask that you would speak loud and clear, that you would convict us and set us free from that temptation, God, that we would walk in the selflessness of Jesus and honor you in this area. And we thank you for it, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen, amen. amen. You can have a seat. How many by the show of hands have ever had something stolen from you? You've ever been robbed? Most of us, right? I think if all of us thought it through at some point, we'd probably be able to find something in some way that we were robbed. I know as uh, I've been through it in a lot of different ways. I've had a laptop stolen out of my car. Uh, I've had multiple things stolen from my house. When I was a kid, I had a ball cap stolen from my locker, and that tore me up, that $20 cap. I was hot about that $20 hat. Uh, one time, walking home from school, I got jumped. We lived in a bad neighborhood, uh, and I actually had the hat that I was wearing that I had just bought with my eighth-grade graduation check from my grandparents. Uh, had that stolen from me, not to mention I got my butt kicked. Uh, so that was a fun, more, fun uh, afternoon. Uh, getting stolen from hurts. Man, I don't know what you feel when you get stolen from. For me, in almost every instance where I've had something stolen, I feel guilty. I've blamed it on myself. Like, I've gone through, here's the things I should have done or should have not done to prevent this from happening. I don't know if anybody else is, is like that. When you get victimized, you immediately blame yourself and go through that list. But, but the reality is somebody stepped out of God's best to do that. So why does God, in his top 10 list, of all the things he could tell us to do and not to do, why is it so important to him that he would say, you shall not steal? Well, God understands the pain of being stolen from. Maybe for you, that pain is is when you get robbed, you feel vulnerable. 
you get paranoid that it's going to happen again. Uh, maybe for you, you get angry and you're ready to like hunt them down and find the people who did this, right? You're ready to go find the perpetrators and make them pay. Uh, God understands there's a lot of emotions that come with being stolen from. In fact, I think stealing is, is so serious to God, not just because of the value of the stuff that is lost and is stolen, but because the impact that it has on the one who's stolen from. Right? The, the, the reality is when you get stolen from, it's not just the $20 you lost on that ball cap. There's a deeper pain, a di- deeper impact on the victim that they experience. And God loves people. He loves people so very much. And so he tells us not to do that, that this is improper if you're his person. If you are part of the children of Israel in the Old Testament, which is the church in the New Testament, he says, this isn't for us. We don't do this. This is not in our nature. Now, the reality is in our country, this is a big deal, and it's a big problem. Uh, We we experience this in a lot of ways, and so God in the Old Testament, in fact, very, very soon after the Ten Commandments, he goes a little more in-depth about stealing. He actually talks about stealing a whole lot in the Old Testament, but very quickly, he has another conversation about it, and in Exodus 22, he says this. He says, anyone who steals must certainly make restitution. Talks about Stolen livestock. He says, if the stolen animal is found alive in their possession, whether ox or donkey or sheep, they must pay back double. So God sets the standard. In the Old Testament, there's this idea of the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? But when it comes to stealing, God doesn't say an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. He says two eyes for an eye, two teeth for a tooth, right? Like He says that, that stealing makes such an impact on the victim that you can't just pay back what was stolen. You actually have to give them more than what was taken from them. Now, here's what I love about God. He treats the enemy this way. He promises that, man, that all the stuff that the enemy has devoured, all the stuff the enemy has stolen for us, I'm giving it back to you and I'm giving it back and beyond, and I'm giving it back and more. But he demonstrates time and time and time again that he takes stealing very seriously. So what does that look like for us in America? Well, I did some research this week. Last year in 2019, the value of consumer goods and currency, so just stuff. This doesn't talk about intellectual property. This isn't talking about the other kinds of stealing out there, but just physical stealing was over $13 billion, $13,339,800,000, give or take, right? Rounded, a, rounded to the nearest 100 grand uh, uh, of stuff that was stolen in just 2019 alone. What's interesting is that's almost the same number as was stolen in 2011. So we, we've kind of settled around the $13 billion mark. I don't know why that is, but that seems to be the number in America of stuff that is stolen, What also found out this week is that some of that's recovered. Not all of that is lost. In fact, about $3,861,000,000 of goods and currency that was stolen last year was recovered. That's good news, right? Have you ever had something stolen and you got it back? Person got convicted, they got caught, you found it, whatever happened, you, you got that thing back. That's a good day when you get that thing back. Uh, but that still leaves almost $10 billion, about $9,478,000 worth of stuff that was stolen last year that is not recovered. That's a pretty big deal. We used to run a, a fireworks tent fundraiser for our youth mission trips. And part of the deal with the company that we ran the tents for was anything that was stolen came out of our cut. We, we, I think we got like 20% of sales, but it was 20% of sales after you accounted for everything that was stolen. And guess what? In DeSoto County, Mississippi, we got some thieves, all right? 
Like we would watch, we would do everything we could to make sure nothing walked out of that tent. But inevitably, every year that we ran that fireworks tent, a good chunk of the money we were supposed to be raising to send kids on mission trips walked out because somebody ganked a, a pack of bottle rockets, right? Because somebody had to have those Roman candles, because somebody couldn't live without something that they either couldn't afford or just didn't want to pay for. I think sometimes it's just the thrill of the steal, right? I think for some people, it's just the, hey, can I get away with this? Can I pull it off? And so stealing is a big issue in America, and I think we would be foolish to think that if it's an issue in America, that it's only the people out there and none of the people in here. In fact, I know that it can be part of the church. When I uh, was younger, a young adult, the first wedding that I was in of a friend of mine, one of my best friends in the world asked me to be in his wedding. And he was somebody that I grew up with in youth group. Uh, and he was marrying a girl that we grew up with in youth group. In fact, she was a leader. She, she was actually, when the first time I went to that church, she was on stage singing. She sang in the worship team for years. She was somebody that everybody looked up to. And so we thought, man, this guy had, had done good, right? Like he had found a good partner. But what we didn't know is she had an issue in this area. And what happened was he helped her get a job working for his cousin. His cousin had a small business making and installing cabinets. And so she got a job working for his cousin, and she stole $30,000 from the company. Little by little, day by day, she walked out with a little bit. She used it to buy jewelry, used it to buy drugs, used it to do a whole bunch of stuff unbeknownst to him. It ended up destroying their marriage, ended up destroying his family. This was his cousin who was being stolen from a leader in the church. Not this church, thankfully, but I think we'd be ignorant to think that it's not anybody in our church. You see, God put this in his Ten Commandments because God knows human nature. Because God knows that all of us are capable of looking at something that doesn't belong to us and saying, you know what, I want that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna grab that. I need that for myself. He knew that we are masters of self-justification. That we are excellent at, at coming up with the reason why this is okay. Well, I'm going to pay it back. Well, well, well nobody's going to be hurt. Nobody's going to know. He knew that we'd come up with all kinds of excuses. And so he says, look, I'm not going to leave this up to you figuring it out. I'm going to spell it out for you. If you're mine, you don't steal. This is my expectation. This is my rule. This is what I'm asking. See, stealing hurts people. It's one reason why God is so serious about it, but I don't think it's the only reason. Because in John 10.10, Jesus is talking, and he tells us this. He says, the thief, talking about Satan, his adversary, his counterpart, his opposite, his rival, he says the thief comes to do what? To steal. Number one on Satan's to-do list. Number one on Satan's mission statement. Satan has come to steal and to kill and to destroy, he says, but I came that you may have life and have it to the full. Have it abundantly. Have it in a deeper meaning and more fulfilling. I came that your life would be blessed, but the enemy came to bring destruction. But what does he call him? He doesn't call him the enemy. He doesn't call him the father of lies. We're going to look at that next week that he does elsewhere say that Satan is the father of lies, right? We know that that's part of his nature as well. But he addresses Satan as the thief. Not a thief, he's the thief. So what happens when God's people steal? We participate in Satan's mission in the world. It's pretty heavy, isn't it? 
It's pretty significant. This isn't just some little thing. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. Oh, nobody's going to know. Oh, it's not, doesn't really matter. This is what the enemy came to do. And so God says, look, if you're mine, if you're with me, if you're following me, if you're wearing my name, if you identify as Christian, this is something that is forbidden for us because it's so destructive. Because it actually cuts to the very character and very nature of my enemy. You see, from the very beginning, we see Satan's come to steal. What does he do in the garden? He lies, but why is he lying to Adam and Eve? He's trying to take that which is God's. He's trying to take God's people. You think that these are yours, God? Well, I'm going to bring them with me. I'm going to corrupt them. And so Satan's mission from the very start is to steal. You see, the the enemy learned a long time ago he can't hurt God. So what does he do? He tries to hurt us to get back at God. So he comes to steal God's people. That's the very first step in his plan. So, so what do we do? If, how do we approach this eighth command? How does this apply to us? Well, I want to give you today four categories. And we've already given you one, so really it's five categories, but we won't hit the tithing one again. But, but what are four ways that we steal in, in modern America? Four ways that this applies to us that I believe God's asking us not to do. So we'll start with the obvious one, and that's just like everyday theft, Right? Grabbing something that isn't mine. I don't know how many of us have participated in this. I won't ask for a show of hands on this one. Uh, But I can tell you that I have. I I have done this. I'm not proud of that. This isn't something that I stand up here. Hey, be like me. Don't be like me. But I've been guilty of taking something that isn't mine, both as a kid and, and as a young adult. And God says this isn't okay. So everyday theft is, is obvious, right? Hopefully we're all aware of this. Hopefully we all know this. We know there's 13 plus billion dollars worth of stuff that is stolen every year in our country. And so some of us have probably participated in that. In fact, most of us have probably participated in that at some point. Hopefully we're not on the 2020 list, right? Hopefully we're on, not on that naughty list this year. Uh, but, but most of us have been guilty at some point. That's the obvious one. We're not going to go really in depth in that. You already know don't take stuff that's not yours, right? Let's talk about some stuff that's a little less surface level that I think this commandment applies to. Number two is plagiarism. Now this usually applies when we're like in school, Right, You procrastinated on a report, and you don't have time to write it out yourself, or you don't want to write it out yourself, so you go and Google, and this was something that I was blessed to not have the option of, because I'm just barely too old, like Google had like just come out when I was in college, but it wasn't really any like stuff you could Google, you know what I'm talking about, <laughs> that didn't exist, you weren't able to go just find all these exams. I remember a couple of my friends who, who were like using stuff they found online, but it was like really obvious that you were ripping stuff off back then. It's a lot as obvious now, you can do a little more secretive, uh, so it's a little more tempting for students today, but plagiarism is stealing. Why is it stealing? It's taking something that's not yours and saying it's mine. You didn't put that work in. You didn't put that study in. You didn't put that, that effort in. I've been guilty of plagiarism. I've participated in that. Um, I've also let other people plagiarize off me when I was in school. That was the more frequent one because uh, school came easy to me, and so people wanted to see what I did, and I allowed them to pass something off as theirs that wasn't theirs. And it's wrong. God says don't touch stuff that's not yours. Don't take advantage of that. So that's one we got to watch out for. Let me give you another one. We'll talk about digital theft, a.k.a. piracy. And this is the one 
that I think is probably more in here than we would like to admit. In fact, if you're like under 40, you've probably participated in this. I can say with almost certainty if you're under 40. And I put myself in that category because this is my last Sunday talking to the under 40 crowd as one of you. So I'm going to talk to the under 40 people. If you're over 40, maybe you've done this, maybe you haven't. I don't know. I've never been over 40. I don't know what that looks like. Um, but, but for those of us who are under 40... Uh, let's just be real. I was in college. You know what came out when I was in college? This thing called Napster. Uh, if you're familiar with Napster, Napster was the ability to steal music, right? And to steal a lot of it. I remember downloading like everything, even if I didn't even like it. I was like, nope, I want it, right? Like downloaded just all of it. And then Napster got busted and got shut down. So then they came out with like Mozilla and LimeWire. And I don't even know all the different viruses I downloaded on my computer, all the spyware under the name of of pirating music and movies and all this stuff. What was the, the allure of it is you can have it without paying for it. What is that? It's stealing, right? Like, I've been super, super guilty. In fact, I didn't just stop in college. I was guilty of pirating stuff as a youth pastor here on more than one occasion. And, like, passing it out to other people, okay? Like, how? here's how ridiculous this is. You know what came out not long after that? They came out with this thing called iTunes, where you could buy a song for 99 cents, And you know what I was doing? I was going through LimeWire or Mozilla or one of these other sites. said, you know what? I'd rather give up my integrity than pay a buck. You hear that? The price for my character was 99 cents. When you put it like that, it seems absolutely ridiculous as a youth pastor. All it took with something for free for 99 cents. Now, here's the justification. Well, it doesn't hurt anybody. Well, I'm not going to buy it anyway, so it's not like they're losing any money, right? So we come up with all these justifications. Here's another way that we're doing it right now. Not we, like not me personally, but a way that I know Christians who are doing, passing out Netflix passwords. Uh-oh. You know what that is? That's putting your price tag on your integrity of 10 times mine. It's $9.99 right? 10 bucks or whatever Netflix costs now. Maybe it's 12 bucks. I don't know. But, but it's saying, you know what, that, well, Netflix says that I can have multiple accounts, right? Well, you know what it says? It says in your household. And what we do, many people do, especially millennials and Gen Z, and I'm not trying to pick on young people. I'm just being real. This is more alluring the younger you are because the more digitally tuned in you are is, oh, well, I'll pay for Netflix, but you pay for Hulu. Oh, I'll pay for this, but you pay for that. And you start swapping passwords, and you think you're getting away with something. And sure, you've got access to a little bit more entertainment, a little more ways to waste time, right? But what happens? I don't think God looks down and smiles on that. I don't think God looks down and says, I'm proud of you. I don't think when I pirated music or or downloaded movies illegally that God was like, good job. You're being a good steward of your funds, I don't think that's what God said at all. I think God's heart broke as his son took stuff that wasn't rightfully his. And so we can laugh about this stuff and and, and brush this thing off and say, well, I'm not a thief. I never walked into a bank and walked out with $3 million. You know what? I think somebody who walks out of a bank with $3 million, at least they got something to show for it. When I'm downloading a 99-cent song... And that's the price on my integrity. I think that's, honestly, that's more sad. 
I'm not saying go rob a bank. Please don't misunderstand me. Like, well, my pastor said I needed something to show for it, and I decided I'm going to tithe, so it's $300,000 for the church. Hallelujah. It's uh, not what I'm saying, right? Please don't do that. What I'm saying is, how sad is it that the enemy doesn't have to have $3 million to get me to sacrifice my integrity? All he's got to have is a 99-cent song or a $10 a month streaming subscription. It's like, okay, I'll go for that. I'll step outside of what God has for me because this is easy and it's secret and nobody has to know. And, oh, by the way, everybody does it, right? Well, everybody does it. Netflix knows that people do this. Just because somebody knows they're being stolen from doesn't make it okay for us to steal from them. I know it's real quiet in God's house today. I know this is not the message you came to hear today. I didn't think this was going to apply to me. I wish he would shut up. Let's go to Christmas. It's supposed to be the season of joy. I want us to live up to God's best. I want us to be people that God can be proud of. I want us to be people that the world can look at and say there's something different about them. And so often we choose to live at the level of the world around us instead of walking in the very best that God has for us. Man, if if the church could get a hold of these things, if we could grab this and apply it, it would take the, the, the limits off what God could do through us. You see, the more that we settle, the more that we compromise, the more we limit what God can do in our generation. The more we limit the way he can move in us and through us. So we got to watch out for this stuff. we got to deal with this stuff. Fourth way that that we see stealing in our generation. Let's just call it borrowing without permission. Uh, It's like, well, well, I was going to pay it back. Well, I was going to give it back. Right? And, And maybe you legitimately were. Maybe you weren't. Maybe that's just the excuse. But if we're taking something that, that the other person isn't aware of and hasn't authorized, that's not okay. Now, I think there is an exception here if, like, you and your sister borrow each other's clothes. You're the same size. And that's just like a mutual understanding. That's not borrowing without permission. You have implied permission, even if it's not specific to, like, that shirt. Uh, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when we take stuff home from the office without our boss knowing, Right? Uh, I'm talking about when we take something from whatever the situation may be uh, and we think, hey, nobody knows. I'm going to get away with it. But the reality is that person would not approve or would not sign off on that. That's not okay. God's got something better for his church. He's got something higher he wants us to walk in. So what do we do? What, what is that the, the root of this? We know that there's, there's the enemy wants to steal. So what's at the root of this? Well, the the root of this is selfishness. The root of this is I want something for me. In fact, this is the root of a lot of these horizontal commands, right? What what is the root of murder? Selfishness. That there's something, there's a reason why my life will be better if you didn't exist. So my life matters. Your life doesn't. I'm going to take your life. That's the extreme example, right? Stealing is, is maybe less extreme but much more common. And the reality is, the root of it is selfishness. What's the the root of adultery? Selfishness. I'm going to take something that's not mine, something that isn't for me, something that's been set apart for somebody else, and I'm going to partake in that thing which isn't mine. It's selfish. So what's the antidote? The antidote to stealing, the antidote to all this stuff is selflessness. 
The Bible has a lot to say about selflessness. We told you we're coming to the New Testament with all of this. So I'm going to give you a, a passage of two verses uh, of a principle that we can apply. And then I want to give you a story from Luke chapter 19 that we're going to see this fleshed out. We're going to see what happens when somebody walking in selfishness experiences and meets the one who is selfless. So in Philippians chapter 2, two of my favorite verses, in fact, my family's chosen these as our life verses, our family verses. Man, we want to live up to this. Doesn't mean we always do. Trust me, nothing will teach you how selfish you are like getting married and having kids, right? I, I used to think I was a pretty selfless dude uh, until I started living with family members and realized, you know what? I like stuff to be about me. I like things the way that I like them. Uh, it, it'll illustrate your selfishness for you pretty clearly. But here's what we shoot for, because this is what God's word has taught us. Philippians chapter 3, verse 2 says, Do nothing, no thing, not one thing, out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider and value others above yourselves. If we could just live up to that one line right there, in humility value others above yourselves, we would never steal another thing. We never would, because we'd realize we're not living for us, we're living for others. It says, not only looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. That, man, I'm called to live not just for me, but to live for him and to live for you. That that's the standard. That's what Christianity is. Christianity is being like Jesus, and Jesus is the ultimate selfless one who came to live a selfless life for God's glory and for the benefit of us. And so if I'm going to be a Christian and wear his name, I'm choosing to live a life for God's glory and for the benefit and the value of others. That's what this thing is all about. So I told you I'm going to give you a story. We're going to go to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 has one, a, a very familiar story. In fact, it's one we always associate with like children's ministry. It's a story of a guy named Zacchaeus. And I love the story of Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus was short, right? Uh, in fact, he was shorter than me. Well, how do I know that? Because the song says he was a wee little man, and nobody's ever called me wee before, and don't try it today, okay? I have to throw some hands. Just kidding. Uh, but but I, I, I'm short, but I'm not that short, right? Uh, so Zacchaeus, he was a wee little man. He was real short. He had some issues. So I love this story. It's cute and it's funny, but it's powerful if we actually see what happens. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and he was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. Everybody say Zacchaeus. Just, just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? It's a fun name. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. So if you don't know the, the culture here, you'll miss what's going on. Zacchaeus was a tax collector for the Roman Empire. He was a tax collector for the oppressors of the Jews. Why was that significant? Because he was a Jew. And so he was seen, in fact, all tax collectors in that culture were seen as traitors. You're serving the enemy. But not only were they seen as traitors, they were liars and they were thieves because this was the deal. The Roman Empire said, here's the tax rate. Here's how much you need to take from people. Uh, but you can take as much as you want, as much as you can get above that, and you can just keep the rest. And so tax collectors would know, hey, you owe 100 bucks in tax, but they'd say, no, you owe $300 in tax. And they'd enforce that, and they'd keep the 200 for themselves. So Zacchaeus was despised. He had all the money and none of the friends, right? Like, like he had everything that he could, his heart could desire except community. And so he hears that Jesus is coming to town. Jesus is coming to Jericho, and something in his heart leaps. I want to know what this guy's all about. I want to see this guy for myself. I want, to, I want to catch a glimpse. And so verse 3 says, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, everybody say, aw, 
So sad, right? Because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So this guy wanted to see Jesus bad enough. He was willing to be inconvenienced. He was willing to do something uncomfortable. He's this uh, wealthy man who's out there climbing a tree so he can see Jesus. It's kind of a ridiculous picture. Verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up to him and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. I think if Jesus walked in here today and told you, hey, I'm coming over to your house for lunch, all of us would welcome him gladly, right? Like we would leap at the chance to have Jesus over, even if we didn't have anything in the crock pot, right? We'd throw in a frozen pizza. We'd figure it out. Like Jesus may not be my best, but, but come on over, right? We, we would all be thrilled to welcome Jesus. The reality is we all have Jesus if you're a believer living in us. And so we're welcoming him every day. He's with us every day. But this non-believer, this lost man, welcomes Jesus. But notice what the people say. Instead of saying, man, Jesus is going with Zacchaeus, maybe Zacchaeus' life's about to change. Maybe something's going to happen. The people mutter against Jesus. Verse 7 says, all the people saw this and they began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Aren't you glad we have a Savior who hangs out with sinners? Aren't you glad we have a Savior who doesn't wait until people clean up their life and fix their mess before he'll show up? But he actually shows up in the midst of our mess. He actually meets me at the point, even in my great sin, even in my deepest depravity, he says, I'm not ashamed of you. I'm not scared of you. I'm not intimidated by you. And I don't even care if people talk about me. I'm going to hang out with you. That's the Jesus I serve. I think that's pretty awesome. Verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up. And everybody says, Zacchaeus, stand up. And I, oh, we didn't realize you were already standing up, right? Uh, and said to the Lord, if you're a short person, you get that joke because you've heard it before. Uh, said, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, I've known this story probably like most of my life. I've heard this as far back as I can remember. And I always knew Zacchaeus paid back four times, but I never understood the significance until studying for this this week. Exodus 22, Zacchaeus was a Jew, raised as a Jew. He knew the law. All of them knew the first five books of the Old Testament. He knew what was expected. He understood that as a Jew, if you steal from a Jew, what do you do? You pay back twice. But Zacchaeus means Jesus. The selfish one experiences the selfless one. And as he comes to Jesus, he doesn't come back at the standard. He doesn't say, I'm going to pay it back exactly what I've stolen. You'd probably celebrate that, right? If somebody had taken $200 from you and they say, hey, I'm giving you these $200 back, that's a good day. I'm grateful for that. He didn't come back and say, I'm paying twice the amount because that's what the law says. If somebody took 200 bucks and came back and gave you 400, you'd be like, okay, we cool, right? We're down. Like, I forgive you. You'd be over it very quickly if you got back twice. But Zacchaeus, after experiencing the generosity of Jesus, after encountering the presence of the Savior, he doesn't settle for the level of the law. He goes above and beyond, and he says, you know what? The law tells me to give back twice, but I'm giving back four times. That's what happens when our selfishness meets the selflessness of Jesus. You see, the antidote to stealing is selflessness, and selflessness is embodied in Christ. 
And we see this greedy, selfish man who hoarded everything for himself, who hated everybody and hurt everybody. We see him walk in supernatural, radical generosity after a moment with Jesus. How do we get set free from stealing? We experience Jesus. We taste and see that God is good. When we experience his selflessness and see him for who he is, it allows us to lay that thing down and release it. You see, Jesus gives us a selfless heart. He gives us a selfless heart. And watch how the story ends. In verse 9, it says, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. What's Jesus doing? He's welcoming him back to the Jewish family. He's been kicked out. He's been disowned. He's a traitor. He's betrayed them. And Jesus says, look, you, may, you also are a son of Abraham. He's installing him back. He's getting his Jew card back is what's happening. In front of all these Jewish religious leaders, in front of all these priests, in front of all these people, Jesus says as the chief Jew, as the one that this thing is all about, I'm giving you your status back. You're a son of Abraham. And then catch what he says. We read this one and quote this one out of context all the time, not realizing what's actually going on. But Jesus explains why he went to the home of a sinner. He addresses all those mutterers. I know what you're saying. He says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. It's who I am. It's what I do. That's my mission statement. The enemy's mission statement is to steal and kill and destroy. But my mission statement is to seek and to save that which was lost. And this wee little man, this little dude was lost, but he's not lost anymore. Salvation has come to this house today. It's awesome. It's beautiful. And it's powerful. It's what happens when my selfishness meets Jesus' selflessness. See, stealing is an issue. It's a problem. It's something that God does not approve of for his people. And whether that stealing looks like robbing him in the tithe, or it looks like just grabbing something and taking something that doesn't belong to me, whether that stealing looks like pirating something and downloading something that I don't have the rights to and I know I don't, God says it's not for my people. It's selfish. It hurts others, but beyond hurting others, it lines up with the mission of the one who came to destroy you. See, stealing leads to destruction. It's an escalation. It's steal and kill and ultimately destroy.